continue our series, uh, DNA, which is who we are as a church. And what we've been uh, covering is really our, our three-legged stool, which is probably fitting. We're a bunch of three-legged dogs, uh, uh, you know, limping along. And, you know, it, I, I've, always, I've always loved that picture of a three-legged dog because they get around. It just isn't pretty, <laughs> right? Um, so, but we're talking about who we are and why we are as a church. Why are we doing this? Who, why would we take the effort to do all the setup and tear down and all the things that we're doing, whatever? And we've said is we want to bring the gospel here to Oakleaf, this neighborhood. And so, um, and so to do that, we've talked about having a church built out of and because of the gospel. And we, so the first week we talked about gospel-centered worship. How the gospel, God's love for us in Jesus and Jesus' death and resurrection, what he accomplished for us, be the, the beginning, the middle, and the end of worship. That's what it's about. If we aren't proclaiming the gospel throughout, we've missed something. And, and the gospel isn't just a, a doorway or a gateway in which we go into our faith, but it is the beginning, middle, and end of our faith. It is our faith. And so we want gospel-centered worship. And we also, the last two weeks, talked about gospel-centered community and how that good news of Jesus Christ, uh, and we'll even talk about that today, uh, gives us peace with God and with one another and creates extraordinary, it should create an extraordinary community among us. And the way that we live that out, we talked the last two weeks, is one way is our vintage communities. We come together to try to, be, to live as extended family. We try to serve and love and, and, and share the love of Jesus with our neighbors. And so we define that as a, a family of missionary servants or servant missionaries. And then we also, last week we talked about this, the dire need of discipleship, life on life with one another because of the deceitfulness of sin. And so we encourage everyone to be a part of a DNA group, three to five ladies, three to five guys, meeting regularly, digging into God's word, knowing one another to the point where we can encourage one another, come alongside of each other and help, help each other not be deceived by the deceitfulness of sin and point each other to Jesus. And so this is our last leg, and we're going to be talking this morning about gospel-centered mission, gospel-centered, I like the word movement, because like a good good beat, good music makes you move, doesn't it? And I think the gospel, when it gets into us, it moves us. You can't can't stay still. And and so that's what we see. Um, So if you would... Uh, right here in John chapter 20, and we're going to be uh, reading verses 19 through uh, 23. It'll also be on the screen behind me, hopefully. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his sides. And then the disciples were glad they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If it is withheld, excuse me, if you withhold forgiveness from any, 
it is withheld. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for myself right now that you would uh, use me, that I'm just a broken vessel. I, I'm nothing. But I pray that you would use uh, me to hopefully point clearly to your infallible and errant word which is inspired by you and when we come to this word we should be transformed and so lord may your word may the goodness of your gospel be clear this morning we pray this in the name of jesus amen so here's the setting this is the very end of jesus uh, the very end of the book of uh john and the end of jesus's ministry so to speak jesus has been arrested betrayed arrested he has been beaten and mocked, hung on a cross, and put into a tomb. And this is three days later. It's early in the morning. And a few people, particularly ladies, which would lend to the authenticity of these accounts, by the way. Why would they have ladies? You know, if you were making this story up, why would you do that? But these ladies, particularly Mary Magdalene, which we see in this story, before dark goes to the tomb and finds it empty. And then other ladies go as well. And, uh, but Mary Magdalene has an encounter with Jesus. And these ladies run back and they tell the disciples. But the disciples had, had scattered and eventually had come back together to this upper room. And they're, they're hiding. They're scared. The doors are locked. They're afraid. And they're beginning to hear these stories that I am sure had them wondering. What is going on? Number one. This guy we thought was the Messiah. We thought he was the Lord. We thought he was God himself. And he has died. And now we're hearing stories of an empty tomb. And stories that some people have actually seen Jesus. What is going on? And that's where we see Jesus appears to them. Now, before we start this, I want to ask a big question. And this will help us out this morning. Um, How did... These commonplace followers of Jesus. When I mean commonplace, they're like podunk, small town, trailer park guys from Galilee. They're fishermen. Uh, One of them's a tax collector. I mean, these guys are not intellectual elites. They're not smart. They're nothing special about these guys. And so what took these guys and transformed them into being world changers, bold, outright men who went out and literally, we know from history, changed the course of history. How did these few scraggly fishermen guys start Christianity? That's a really big question that as as historians come to these texts, have to wrestle with. What happened? Now you could add, you could, and so theories are put out there about the resurrection. Maybe Jesus, um, uh, maybe they made this whole thing up. They stole the body, they made it up. But that's tough. That's a hard one because these guys, their lives were transformed. And they went to their deaths. Just, this doesn't fit. They go from scared, locked, behind locked doors, to, to going boldly to their deaths, proclaiming that Jesus had risen. Or maybe Jesus really didn't die. Maybe he resuscitated or whatever. But there's, there's the accounts, there's nothing there. And these guys believed, saw him, 
dead. Or maybe they had a mass hallucination. Okay, number one, I've never, there's very rare accounts of mass hallucinations. But if that was the case, maybe, um, maybe that's what happened. Maybe that would explain how these scraggly fishermen became world changers. And I would say no. I would say the best historical explanation, and we see that here, is that they encountered in in the person, in the flesh, the risen Lord Jesus. And let me tell you, that will change a person. Will it not? It will. As a matter of fact, anyone who meets and encounters the risen Lord Jesus will, in fact, be drastically changed. And in in fact, just like with a great beat and great music, will be moved and propelled to mission, to to telling others, and to, to going out and sharing what has happened. Because when you encounter the, the living Lord Jesus, you will, enca- you will receive three precious gifts, three precious treasures that Jesus gives them in, when he encounters them here. Now you might say, well, wait a minute, Russell, come on. I've never seen, the, I've never seen Jesus in person. I mean, he's not going to show up here today, is he? Which would be cool. I'm okay with that. Might be the end of all things, according to the Bible, but I'm okay. Come, come, Jesus, quickly. But I haven't seen him. You know, we don't see him. I mean, let me just stop and say there. That is not true. As a matter of fact, the way we can see him is better than the way the disciples see him. Because right after this scenario here, Thomas doubts and says, I'm, I'll believe it when I see it. And Jesus comes to him and says, okay, touch the holes of my hands. Feel them. Touch the hole in my side. And, and it says that Thomas believed. But Jesus says, have you you believed because you have seen me? This is in verse 29. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. But here's the thing. We can encounter Jesus any moment of any day of your life. Right here in God's word. He is living. He is alive. And we can encounter him. As we come to these truths in the gospel, written in 66 books of the Old and New Testament, we can encounter the risen Lord Jesus. And when we do, I think we get these three gifts, these three treasures. So what are they? Let's see what happens here. Because Jesus comes to them, and he bestows upon them some things. Alright, so we encounter Jesus, the truths of the gospel, his life, death, and resurrection. We should receive three precious treasures that should propel us into mission. And the first one, first treasure, is peace. First treasure is peace. So we've already said, Jesus has been uh, betrayed, arrested, he's been crucified, and and the disciples have all fled, they've scattered They've come back here, but most of them have, have either um, abandoned Jesus or they have, um, one of them, uh, Peter, has, has denied him publicly, even cursed doing so. And so if we, let's just put ourselves in their shoes because we know the story and it's easy for us to candy coat these things sometimes. But if you really just kind of just get into their moments 
Step down into the situation and imagine, okay, your Messiah, this guy that you thought was the man, has just been arrested and murdered, hung on a cross, which is brutal, horrible death, and, um, and you've all scattered, you've abandoned him, you've been unfaithful, and you're now hiding in a room with do- the doors locked because you're afraid they might, the Jews might come, arrest you, and do the same to you. But there's more to it than that. There's more than just the fear because the idea of meeting Jesus again for them at that moment might not have been a great idea. So they're starting to hear maybe accounts that this Jesus isn't dead, that he's actually alive. And so can you imagine the feeling they might have had when Jesus shows up in the room? I can't help but reminds me of... Actually, several times when I was growing up. One particular time when I was growing up, my, we were at my dad's house, and he had us helping with some uh, painting some sand dollars. My brother and I got in a big fight with this paint, and we painted the entire basement with this sand dollar paint, and it was a disaster. And my dad walked in. I did not want to see his face at that moment. Reminds me also in. Um, I've been going through the uh, Chronicles of Narnia again. I've been reading through them. I love them so much. I read them every so often. And I just, I just wanted to go through them again. But in the, um, in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, if you all remember, little Edmund goes and he meets the White Witch. And he basically sells himself off and betrays everybody. Makes a huge mess of things for, a, a, for some Turkish delight, for some sweets. Remember that? And then there's that moment where he has to meet Aslan face to face. Can you imagine? Oh, yeah, you're getting ahead of me here. So I thought, if I ever had a tattoo, and one of these days maybe I'll do a tattoo, this is what I would want. This is an amazing artist picture. And instead of teeth, disappointment, scolding, or whatever, you had this face. Isn't that a beautiful picture? And that's what you see here. So instead of a judgment, instead of... Uh, instead of scolding or or anger or wrath or whatever might have been due these disciples. What's wrong with you guys? Instead, Jesus comes in the room and the first words out of his mouth are, peace to you. Now, again, that that is a common uh, greeting in the Hebrew. It's shalom. Shalom Macha, I think, is peace to you. And it's very common today. However, he doesn't say it once. He repeats it. He says it maybe because it's kind of like saying, hey, guys. But Jesus was never unintentional. And he comes in the room and he says, peace to you guys. And they probably said, Shalom. So what's happening? What comes next? There must have been this, maybe this pregnant, maybe he left it there for a moment. We don't see this in the text, but like a what they call a pregnant pause, and, and, and you're just waiting for the, you know, the, the coin to turn, the page to flip. Now we're going to get it. You know, they're bracing themselves, and he says it again, peace to you. What Jesus declares to them is peace. Now, the word peace in the Hebrew doesn't just mean you know, good tidings or good things or whatever. It means completeness. It means wholeness. It also means an end of hostilities. And that's what Jesus has come and has accomplished. 
He has gone and he has been crucified. He has died to ending the hostility between us and God. And by extension, us and other people. And he's also come to make everything right. To make everything whole. And he says, peace. It's the first words that come out of his mouth when he begins to talk to his disciples. And that is the declaration of the gospel is that peace. We have received peace. In Romans 5, 1, it says, Since we have been justified by faith, made right with God by believing and trusting what Jesus accomplished for us, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He comes declaring the gospel. Jesus proclaimed because of his substitutionary death, his standing in our place on that cross, we have peace with God and with others. Um, Scottish preacher J. J. Eric Alexander put it this way. He is the Lord Jesus himself bestowing this gift of peace upon men and women with troubled conscience. And it is his dying love that produces it. We need the reality of what it means for the balm of God's grace to speak to our troubled, guilty conscience and to enable us to know what it is to receive the healing of God's peace, flooding our souls and purifying our conscience. Is your soul troubled? Is your conscience sullied? Is it, is it, is it, is it filthy? Do you, do you really struggle with Would you struggle with meeting Jesus face to face? Do you? Let me tell you. He doesn't come with a face of disappointment. He doesn't come in anger, frustration, disappointment. He comes declaring peace. Now the peace comes like in that photo I showed you through his tears, as you see with Aslan. He comes having paid the deep penalty for us, but he declares peace. So here's a key idea for you. If you encounter the risen Jesus, you will encounter the good news of peace. If you encounter the risen Lord Jesus, you will encounter his peace. That is the gospel. So in fact, and this is in fact the heart of gospel mission. The heart of gospel mission is that we have been set free. We have been granted peace in our hearts. And that flows out of us in a joyful desire to share it with other people. And it was the same with Jesus. He was telling Hebrews that before the, the joy set before him, he went to the cross. He did this not begrudgingly because he had to. He did it for the joy of it. He did it for the joy set before him. And in the same way, we should be driven to help others know the glorious forgiveness that Jesus has for, uh, forgiven us, secured for us. We should be driven, propelled to want to share that peace with others. And it, 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 it's simple. This isn't even that, even a supernatural of a thing. If you hear good music, you tell people. We just saw uh, John Mark McMillan in concert. 
and met Amanda, and we were posting on Facebook. It was a really good show, and we were like, man, wish more people had been here. This was great. How do we tell people about it? Maybe next time he comes into town, we'll get people to go. Kind of. And it's, we become evangelists. Or what about people who, are, who face um, struggles like cancer? I've known people who have uh, battled cancer and survived it. And guess what? All of a sudden, although they would have never thought this before, or never would have considered it, become um, cancer uh, you know, supporters. And they go to the marches. They wear pink. They do all these things. They, and they, they support it in a way they never would have. Why? Because they have been saved from this disease. And they want to help others be, feel and experience the same thing. You can use the grasses here. Y'all would have never cared about hydrocephalus unless your child has faced that and survived it and you guys support it like I've never seen anybody support. They are evangelists. And that is normal and natural. And so here's the thing. When we encounter the genuine risen Jesus and his peace, it should propel us in the same way. So, in that we get the second treasure. So the first treasure is peace. The second treasure is purpose. He gives us his purpose, his mission. And so Jesus says to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. As the, so there's, there's a comparison here. He's saying... I'm not sending you out in a unique, different way. He's saying, just like the Father sent me, I am now sending you. There's a commission here. Okay? But so, what he's given us, though, is he's saying, there is, um, the way that I came is the way I want you to go. And so he gives us what that looks like. And he says, as the Father sent me. Now, this doesn't mean... We're going to go hang on a cross atoning for people's sin. That is impossible. Okay, just so you, in case you were wondering, it's not asking us to go hang on a cross. So what does it mean? Well, how did Jesus come? He came humbly. He came loving. He came generously. He came sacrificially. He came personally. He got involved. It says the flesh... Um, uh, the word Jesus became flesh, became a man, and dwelt among us. I love the messages, uh, kind of retake on that. It says, he became, fle- he became a man and moved into the neighborhood. I love that. It, the real word there is he, became, he tabernacled. He, he, he dwelt. He, became, he, come in, he came into our midst. It's a personal thing. So, you know, advertising flyers, you know, all these uh, impersonal methods of trying to reach people, fine. But it comes down to the heart of it. It is a personal thing. And it's relational. And we could go on all day about that. What What should our mission look like? He tells us right here. What should the church and what should our evangelism, what should our mission look like? It should look like how Jesus did it. As the Father sent me, so I send you. And so this is a great gift that we would be honored with the joy 
of doing what he's been able to do for us. Look in um, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 through 20. says, and from this, and this is from God, who though Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So we are given this gift as Christ came to reconcile, to bring peace. That's what reconcile means. To bring peace with people in God, with people in each other, and make this whole world whole. That is our job. We are now ambassadors for Christ. We are sent out on a purpose. So this is like, it's like getting your dad throwing you the keys to the truck for the first time. Are finally getting the responsibility at your job the first time. That is, in, that is like, yes! I, I'm honored and res- they think enough of me to res- give me this responsibility. That's awesome. Now, so, there's one question here. What does this look like? Because there's some question here in this text. What, what does this in the heart look like? And in uh, verse 23, does that come up on the text? Does that come up there, verse 23? It says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now this verse, uh, as you can see, has been controversial. And the, and the Roman Catholic Church would say that this means that the Pope and the Church has the authority to either forgive sins or not. I don't think that's what it means here. The verbs here, the forgiving here, this verb, these both of these verbs are in the passive. And that means that uh, it, it is not us. It's not, we are not the ones who forgive anybody. And so what's really happening here, it is, there is a responsibility here. though, Because if people re- receive the gospel, guess what? Their sins are forgiven. Is that right? If they hear the gospel, they respond, they believe, their sins are forgiven. If they reject it, they turn away from it, their sins will not be forgiven. And here's another part of it. If they hear it, they can respond to it. If they don't, they can't. So there's a responsibility. There's a power in this text. But here's what we are to do. We are to go out and give people the gospel so that they can have the peace of Christ, that their sins can be forgiven. And so, that brings us to the last treasure, the last gift. So we're given His peace, given His purpose, and lastly, we are given His power. We're given his power. And here's the thing. Power is important, isn't it? I mean, we take it for granted. We really do. And, t- and, we, and it takes events. It takes special events sometimes to really help us appreciate the gift of power. For example, we've had a few of these lately. When the hurricane comes through and you go to turn the light switch on and nothing happens. And you go to dial down the air conditioning, nothing happens. Or you jump in your car 
and you turn the key, and up to that point, you've never cared what happens under that engine. You never, all you cared about was when you turn the key, uh, the motor starts, you push the pedal, and it goes. But without the power, it's hard to go. It's, it's hard to function. And so, I don't know about you guys, we, I just, after, like, during the hurricane, we're, like, letting people borrow a, we're, like, trading a um, generator, and all this stuff's happening because power is important. And Jesus doesn't forget that. In verse 22, when he says, after he said this, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. This is a symbolic act of Him giving them the Holy Spirit, which would be the power to go and do the impossible. Because up to this point, what is being given to them, this peace which was given to them, as a gift, and now this new mission and this, and this uh, purpose, that mission is mission impossible. There, was, there used to be a TV show about that. This is your mission. It was a series of movies with um, whatever his name is. Whatever. Tom Cruise, thank you. Sean Connery, that was... Um, it, this is your mission. No, not James Bond. This is your mission if you choose that. Here's the thing. It is mission impossible. We cannot bring people. We can bring people to the water, I say, but you can't make them drink. That, this is an impossible mission. And so Jesus gives them the power. And there's no doubt that this action, this symbolic action that he does, it says he breathed on them. You, let me tell you, if you're a good Jew or if you know your Bible, it, all of a sudden you do a rewind back into Genesis chapter 2 when, when God takes dirt from the ground and it says he breathed into it life and it became man. There's no doubt that that is there, that, this, that he would breathe into them power and give them the power that they need. That he would give us the Holy Spirit. So what does that look like? What does that mean? We are given the Holy Spirit to equip us to do the impossible. And as a matter of fact, throughout the New Testament, we get a picture of what that actually means. So I'll give you these. I should, maybe should have made a list on the screen, but it says the Holy Spirit comes and he gives us the words to say. I mean, you got to think about it. These disciples must have thought to themselves, why us? Who are we? How, what? We're just fishermen. We're just dudes from like Trailer Park, Podunk, Galilee. Who are we? I mean, when Jesus came out of Galilee and Nazareth, they said, what good comes out of there? Those are these guys. Have you ever thought that? Why would God want me to do anything? How could God use me? And he gives us the Holy Spirit, and he starts with, he gives us the words to say, the very words. You don't know what to say? Pray and ask God. He's given you his spirit to know what to say. That's in Luke chapter 12. He convicts us of sin, of course, but he convicts our listeners. 
He goes ahead of us. And if, when we proclaim the gospel, if the Holy Spirit can come and convict their heart of sin. We see that in John chapter 16. He converts dead hearts. We can't do that. It is impossible to change somebody's heart. But the Holy Spirit, we see in John chapter 6, verse 44. He sustains us in difficult times. It is hard to do God's mission. But he sustains us. We see that in John chapter 14. He gives us focus and substance even for our own prayers. In Romans chapter 8. He gives us the abilities to do what he has called us to do. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And he gives us Christ-like qualities that would demonstrate his love. We see this in Ephesians 5. We are given everything we need to fulfill his mission. So we are given the precious treasure of peace. The precious treasure. Treasure is a responsibility to be ambassadors for Christ. And then we're given the power to take to do it. So have you ever wondered how Charlotte, North Carolina got started? I've heard this story at that concert this week. I didn't care. But actually, Charlotte, North Carolina apparently got its start um, when a uh, man named John Reed defected from the British... Uh, during the um, Revolutionary War, and he, he went into he, he in Savannah, Georgia, and eventually migrated his way up into North Carolina to start a family, and was living there, farming, and, and just enjoying life and his family. Well, one day, his uh, 12-year-old son skipped church, go fishing, some buddies, or some family members, and while fishing, saw something in the, in the creek bed, um, and it was really shiny, and so his son grabbed this big old shiny thing and brought it back to the house. And this big shiny thing, they really weren't sure what it was. They thought it looked pretty or whatever. Well, they weren't totally sure what it was. And so for three years, this big shiny thing served as a doorstop of their front door. Until one day, a jeweler came through town. And recognized that rock, which happened to be rough gold, weighing 17 pounds. Well, that jeweler, realizing the potential value of that 17-pound doorstop, offered Mr. Reed $3.50, which he thought was quite generous. A few years later, John Reed realized his mistake and started the Reed read mine there he actually became wealthy later on but think about that for a minute for three years this precious valuable he was worth at the time thousands of dollars which would be hundreds of thousands of dollars today maybe more this precious treasure sat as a doorstop for three years and then was squandered off for $3.50. Y'all hopefully see the connection here, right? We have been given these precious treasures. His peace. His purpose. His power. And I think very often as God's people, as Christians, we, don't, we, don't, we just don't recognize it. And we just, we just make a doorstop out of it. We ignore the reality and the value of it and the the precious opportunity we have with that. 
Think about the good he could have done with that. Think about what he could have done for his family. Think about the missed opportunity. And that, very often, I think, is where we leave leave ourselves. We encounter the risen Jesus. We are given way more than a 17-pound gold rock. We're given the beauty of the gospel and and the, the amazing, beautiful responsibility to take that to others. And His Spirit has given us a promise. I'm going to help you do it. So, ask a couple questions. Do you have that peace? Do you really? Have you really received that forgiveness and that peace with Him and with others? If you've received the gospel, it's like the best music you've ever heard. You can't help but tap your toe. And even if you can't dance, we can't. The Holy Spirit helps us. We can't dance, but it makes us dance. My wife laughs at me sometimes because I'll start dancing. She's like, stop that, please. I'm like, I can't help it, you know. Please don't do that in public. We can't help it. Do you know the peace of God? Let me tell you, how do you receive that peace? It is a free gift. He has accomplished it for you. Just like he had done three days before with his disciples, he hung on that cross. He paid the penalty that you would have peace with God, peace with others. And he is moving in his resurrection to make peace with everything, to make everything whole. Have you taken that purpose? Have you taken that purpose? We, I, I was laughing about minister up here. I'm not the minister. I'm not the priest. You are. That's that's a cool thing about Presbyterian churches. Um, we have elders, and I'm just one of them. I'm called the, the fancy word is teaching elder. And if you want to put that in modern uh, language, is an equipping elder. We're here to equip you, to help you. Take that purpose. Are you owning that purpose? And remember what that purpose is, as the Father sent me. Remember what that purpose looks like. It's hospitable. It's relational. It's personal. You don't have to be fancy. You don't have to have all the right words. Just look around. your neighbor. Look who, where God has put you, put the people He's put in your life, and say, as the Father has sent me, has sent Jesus, He is sending me. And you're going to think, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to do this. Well, of course you don't. Jesus knew that. And he breathes on us and says, receive you the Holy Spirit. And gives us power. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.